Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Michael Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Jeremy Lee in the building and every guest that you ever needed. Sports cards after hours keep the hobby heated. Updates hobby talk like you've never seen it. Sports cards live and I could ever beat it. Sports cards is a lifestyle. Sports cards and we live now. Welcome to another episode of Sports Cards Live with your host, Jeremy Lee. All right, everybody. Here we go. All right, everybody. Welcome episode number 214 of Sports Cards Live. It is Saturday night, January the 27th, 2024. My name is Jeremy Lee. I would like to thank everybody who tuned in last week for the episode with Simon Chan. And next Saturday, our guest is Mike Summer, passionate collector and the man behind the Wax Pack Hero podcast. MC Mondays is back on Monday. And tomorrow night, the PWCC hockey auction ending watch party will be back as well. Want to ask everybody to join close to half a million people who have downloaded the Center Stage app across both iOS and Android for quick comps. Whether you're pricing your cards at shows or at home, you can build, organize, and share your collection with your friends and find other collectors to follow using their social sharing feature. So check out their Instagram account and please join me in supporting the great team and the innovation they are taking at Center Stage app. Also, use protection, practice safe swaps. Veriswap is an app and middleman service that lets you securely trade cards through the mail. Every transaction up to $1 million in value is fully insured by their guarantee. Check them out on iOS and Android. And join me and Veriswap founder Raymond Lee every second Tuesday on Instagram Live where we have the Veriswap trade desk 10 to 12 minute episode. I want to shout out Hobby News Daily. Check out hobbynewsdaily.com for your daily and weekly dose of hobby content. And also Leighton Sheldon and Just Collect and Vintage Breaks. Unfortunately, Leighton will not be with us tonight for the Vintage Spotlight. He had a conflict this evening, but we'll hope to see him back next Saturday. You can also buy and sell tag graded cards on Com C. Tag's new Tag X grading service is a game changer. Pokemon, Lorcana, and other rounded corner TCGs are now eligible for grading. Visit taggrading.com if you value transparency and consistency in card grading. I'd like to thank all partner sponsors and, of course, our loyal viewers and listeners for your ongoing support. If you're not yet subscribed to the channel, please take a moment and do so. And as always, your comments and your questions are in play. Let's get to it. Tonight's guest started in the hobby when his dad came home with a box of 88 Fleer and every so often he'd give him packs to break in search of the Tom Glavin rookie card. He tried a few business ventures along the way through to 2017 when he started Filth Bomb on Facebook. And when the pandemic started, they blew up into what is now Filth Bomb Breaks. His favorite players of all time are Ken Griffey Jr., Jackie Robinson, and Shohei Otani. And his favorite teams are the pre-A-Rod New York Yankees and the New York Knicks. He's originally and currently hailing from Glen Cove, New York. Let's bring him out. Steven Abendondolo, welcome to Sports Cards Live. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me, Jeremy. I appreciate it. Oh, it's uh, it's it's good to have you, Steve. It's good to have you. 
I'm excited for it. And I want to get into a few things with you. I want to learn about your hobby history and uh, some exciting stuff that's been happening with you and Filth Bomb lately. Let's start with that. Let's start a bit a bit with your hobby history. Sort of take us through those early 88 Fleer days and just run us up to, to where we are now. Yeah, so um, I guess that's how it all starts, right? Everyone has their story. So my earliest memory uh, in the hobby is my dad coming home with wa wax boxes. Uh, he'd put them up in his closet and every once in a while he'd bring down a pack, you know? So like, it felt like forever to get through a wax box. Now we go through them in seconds and just it would last for like a month. And if, you know, out of nowhere, he'd be like, hey, come in here, take a pack out. We rip it. We're looking for the Glavin. And it's just, that's that's what I remember most. And then it just got me hooked. You know, we went to little flea market card shows with my friends with like three dollars trying to make it stretch out as much as we could. And, you know, yeah, the good old days. I hear it. I hear it. So you're doing that. Your dad's buying the boxes. He's giving them to you for, hey, you did good in school this week or whatever. Here, bust a few, rip a few packs of the 88 Flair and whatever, whatever else he was bringing home. That's back in the late 80s, I suppose. So take us through. Were you collecting through the 90s and the 2000s as well? Yeah, for sure. I collected literally my whole life off and on, I'd say, because when you get to high school, you're too cool for a little bit and you have other things, you know, that you're getting into, whether it's sports. But I mean, I wouldn't say I've gone more than two years without actually like becoming obsessed again with something. Um, I collected Griffey Jr. Um, probably from like eight to 15. And then, you know, took a, it took a backseat for a couple of years and I got into vintage Jackie Robinson. And that's really where my passion was. I would just buy commons on eBay at 55 tops and because I love the design and then, you know, it just snowballed into now I have a pretty nice Jackie Robinson collection. I like the 55 tops a lot. It's kind of funny, right? You probably know this 55 and 56 tops baseball. They're very similar. They're both oh, yeah. horizontal. They both have like an action shot and a, and a portrait, but the 56 is they have a much more detailed, you know, action shot, if you will, which do you prefer 55 or 56? I'm a 55 just because that was a card that they had in Beckett. So when you would go look up the set, it was the Jackie 55. And that's like the card. Even when I was just collecting Griffey, I had no interest. I would always, you know, have to get to the nineties and flip through. And then I'd see that card always like I want this card. And when I started my first card store, which was short lived in 2014, no, actually, it was 2012. It was a little tiny corner of a toy store at that time. Someone brought in the collection. The first card on top was a Jackie Robinson 55 tops. And it was like, it's just so weird how that stuff works out. You know, yeah, no, it's that is funny. I'm a, I like, you know, they're both really nice. Don't get me wrong. But I also prefer the aesthetic of the 55 tops. I like the cleaner copy. It reminds me of the 38 Gaudi Joe DiMaggio where there's two copies. There's the one without all the graffiti, you know, that big bobblehead mm -hmm. looking card mm -hmm. there's the one without the graffiti and the one with the graffiti and yeah. i think number 250 is without it and maybe 271 or 274 has it with the graffiti i like the cleaner one without it so i I'm, at least i'm i feel like i'm consistent that way i prefer the cleaner aesthetic tell us a bit about you know the 2000s leading up until really the early 2010s what were you doing in the 2000s 2000 so 2003 to date myself i graduated high school and then i was in the music industry songwriting and uh singing and i collected 
that's when I started actually collecting vintage. It wasn't Jackie, but I just started getting obsessed with commons just from everything from little Bowman, the minis to Gaudi to tops, fifties tops. And I just had like a whole binder full of just vintage, you know, commons. It wasn't worth much. Um, then I would say fast forward to 2014, I moved out of the toy store. I was like, Hey, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it, you know, work card store started it lasted for six months, shut it down. The hobby was, uh, dead at the time. Um, and then fast forward a little further, 2017, I discovered the Facebook group world. I discovered all that stuff, discovered breaking. And I was like, this, this makes sense. This is what I want to do. And did you feel like you would be able to bring something to breaking that maybe the others out there that you were watching didn't? What did you see that made you feel like there was an opportunity for you? Yeah, for sure. Um, so everything in life happens for a reason. I truly do believe it. There's, you know, you can't really explain the way things work. They just work out for a certain reason. So I did music for 15 years. So in my eyes, I failed. Like I didn't make it to where I wanted to go. But when I tell you that, 99% of what I learned in music prepared me for what we're doing right now because it's so closely intertwined, whether it's the marketing, like you had to market yourself, right? In music, you had to market your music, um, whether it's, you had to just get super creative as well. So when I came into the sports card, you know, breaking space, I always use this phrase. It was just so ripe for the picking because the biggest person in the space didn't even have a logo. And I was like, this is, this is perfect. I could just start from scratch, grind as hard as I possibly can. And I'm confident I could pick up market share. So you start, you start the Facebook group, Filth Bomb Breaks. Yes. And what, what did it take? Or what was the, the moment where you transitioned from Facebook to, you know, a full blown business? How did you, how did you take that leap? Tell us a bit about, you know, the, the mindset, but also some of the risks and, and challenges that you that you felt you were undertaking. Yeah, for sure. So we started the Facebook group first as top tier collectibles. And that was just vintage because that was like my real passion. And it was just buying and selling vintage cards. And then I started breaking 2017 one time just because I saw that other people were breaking. So I was like, let's try it in our group. And it was 2017 Tops High Tech Baseball. And I started with six boxes. That was like all I had to my name. I went to the hobby shop, bought six boxes of high tech, put it on the table, and we filled it. And I mean, the production quality was terrible. Everything about it was terrible. And, you know, I was just throwing myself in the fire. Um, but yeah, people gravitated towards it. People liked the brand or not even the brand per se, but just how I was kind of putting sports cards and breaking in a different light. It was more entertaining. You know, it wasn't just opening up packs, going through the cards. It was, I was a big fan of Vince Scully. Um, so what I would do is, especially like the Dodgers and Brooklyn Dodgers, I really, you know, love them. So what I would do is actually commentate and bring it to life, whether it's, you know, if you notice at the beginning of our breaks, I say what time it is, what day it is, you know, where we're streaming from. Um, sometimes what type of day it is outside. I tried to bring everything to life kind of so you felt like you were there. And um, like every break had its own little story almost where it wasn't just generic. It wasn't just, 
you know, hey, start the break, rip cards, end the break. It all kind of flowed and it was a story. And that's what I felt, you know, at the beginning set us apart. Plus, we got more excited. We got a lot more energetic, you know, during the break, which the hobby was definitely missing at the time. Yeah, we see a lot more of that now for sure. And But I love what, how you try to really give each break its own little story and even announcing that what day I do that at the beginning of my episodes too. You know, it, it today's the day that in the year too, because down the road, mm-hmm. people come back and watch. Oh, I wonder what year this happened in. You know, there's 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 only been uh, 25 January 27s that have gone by, so who knows when it was. I think I think that's great. Um, tell us, okay, a little bit about like what is what is Filth Bomb Breaks now? Obviously, it's a breaking company, but if there's anything you'd like to add to that, and how big is your team? Tell us a bit about about the company. So right now we have about, including breakers, shippers, sorters, um, marketing, there's 25 of us, I believe, give or take. Um, so we are, we originally started out just on Facebook. It wasn't even supposed to get to this point. It was just literally to have a job and do something I enjoyed. Um, but now, I mean, I guess we consider ourselves, you know, we're a pretty big brand in the hobby. Um, I don't want to say influencers because we're not that. Um, but I guess we provide content. You know, we uh, provide advice if people have it. Um, they'll come to us all the time. Hey, what should I do with this card? Hey, what's this card worth? And, you know, to the best of our ability, we try to help people uh, in that respect. Um, yeah, that's really. Yeah, but that's a lot. 25 people. Uh, that That seems like a. Seems like a big company. I mean, you've got some some HR duties on top of just running the business and all that. Uh, yeah. What kind of turnover do you guys encounter? And how do you, this is a question I'm so curious about because, you know, how do you find people that you can trust? And how do you find breakers who are going to, uh, you know, employees who are breaking in front of the camera who are going to uphold the standards that you guys set from yourselves at the beginning? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think the number one thing is everyone that I, I don't want to say everyone now, because as we're getting bigger, it's tough to keep it in circle. But John, my partner, he is my brother-in-law. My number one breaker is my best friend since I was three. Um, we had John's brother work with us. John's brother's best friend work with us. Uh, Frankie's second cousin is one of our newest breakers now um and it's just everyone for the most part is from right here at glen cove or very close to it um so that's one thing everybody here knows each other in some way outside of here before they started working here Mm. um so you know that helps with the trust factor as we're getting bigger though it's tough we ran out of people like our circle's done you know like nobody else knows anybody we we're out we're looking for more help you've ex- you've exhausted the yeah. the inner uh the inner supply and uh now you gotta you gotta look outwards for for your pipeline for people to to do the job well i mean you know you'll do what you have to do to find to find the people and you'll have to you know i'm not gonna tell you what to do but i assume you'll you'll bet them and then you'll you'll watch them and you'll you know hopefully everybody works out but you gotta think um you'll go through a bit more of that all right let's uh let's say hello to the crowd and then we're gonna we're gonna keep on going here we got jake doll with us what's up jake perk is here good evening shanik yeah i saw the leafs beat the jets tonight michael is here what's going on michael lauren florio nice to see you uh the cardboard corner good evening robert scott bobby baseball foul five ball 
Dan's Vintage, good evening to you. Glad you're looking forward to it. Mark Santucci, it was, thank you, Mark. I appreciate that. The professor has joined us. Dennis87 says, Jay Lee as a breaker. I don't know that that's, uh, I don't know how good I'd be at breaking. I wouldn't be able to pronounce most of the, the names. T-Dot, what's going on? And Daniel is here as well. Okay, let's jump in right into this topic because this is brand new. This happened, I think, yesterday, but you guys were, Filth Bomb Breaks was featured in the New York Times. Uh, yeah. Tell, tell us, like, first of all, that has to be some of the best possible marketing you can get. Uh, and, and not only for you, but it's also got to be pretty good for the hobby. Tell us, tell us, like, how'd that come about? What do you think of it? And what do you think it means for you in the hobby? Yeah, so and again, right? Everything happens for a reason. We're in the Fanatic studio for something else. And uh, they came up to us like, hey, the Times is here. You want to you know, be part of the story. I was like, hell yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's like, that's how that happened. And um, I mean, I do think it's great for the hobby, right? Because now it's on like a national stage, like people that don't necessarily even know what it is from that article. Now they're learning what that is, you know? And um, I think there has to be more stuff like that too. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg, you know? Yeah. Well, We'll see. I mean, with, with Fanatics at the helm of at least, you know, the, the ultra modern product and moving forward with the companies that they have, um, you know, the the ability that they have to, you know, hey, they got LeBron James now, you know, who's been under Upper Deck's uh, umbrella for years and years. They they got they bought tops. I mean, you know, like that's a, that's a pretty serious thing. And now they're they're taking a run at the live shopping, uh, you know, network or sorry, industry. Uh, you know, channel with uh, with Fanatics Live, of which you're a big part of. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, how did you get to be with Fanatics Live and um, how important is that to you and to Filth Bomb? Yeah, I mean, I think Fanatics is the future, right? I think what they're doing to the hobby is the future. Um, you have to be blind not to see that. I say that all the time, too. They're literally owning everything and they are such a major major part of how everything's operating right now um so again back to everything happens for a reason they approached us like it's just you know right place right time i feel like we're doing the right thing and um it placed us in a good position um that's all i tried to do from the beginning just put us in a position to succeed should something like this even ever happen um so yeah that's really nothing special yeah. happened you know did it help that you were located in new york like do you think uh that was a, a factor in as far because you said they sort of came to you why why did they come to you how did they find you we were just i guess we were the biggest or one of the biggest baseball brands um in the hobby at the time when they were looking for breakers to bring on i know it was us and Leighton was big with baseball and i think blez was pretty big with baseball and um uh, they liked the whole brand you know the logo the mascot the uh the people that work there the breakers so i think that had a big part to do with us getting in for sure and what about like so so they come to you and you know obviously you're going to be receptive to hear what they have to say but this might be a silly question but how hard was it to decide to move your your breaking platform from where you were over to fanatics live 
it was so crystal clear. Like, it was just, it was the easiest decision of my life. I just, because I truly believed in what is happening with Fanatics and they own tops. We're one of the biggest baseball breakers at that moment. It was like a no brainer, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah. no, so it was, it was, it was, like you said, There's, it was pretty, pretty easy. And the transition has been nice and smooth for you guys. Yeah, super smooth. I mean, it's crazy. It baffles my mind because there's still breakers out there that aren't on fanatics, you know, big breakers. And it's like, yeah. they don't, do they not believe? I, this is the writings on the wall. <laughs> you see it very clearly, don't you? Yeah. You said, you said earlier that, you know, when you did, I think you said when, when you broke those first uh, six boxes of, of baseball cards back in 2017, that you, you, you kind of, you just wanted, you wanted to do something that made you happy. So what were you doing before that? And tell us about your lifestyle decision. Yeah. So before that, I was working with my father. He's an accountant and he does wealth management. And like I said, I was doing music for 15 years after high school. So he'd be, you have to go to school. And I kept dropping out doing music. You have to go to school. I kept dropping out. I just hated it. Right. And it's the same thing where I eventually got my degree and then I had to go over with him, worked with him doing um, accounting. And then I also got my Series 65. So I was um, able an investment advisor. Um, but I hated it. Clock watching. It was just, it, it was a long day, right? Every day was a long day. So I decided, I, I looked in the mirror and I was just like, I really don't care how much money I'm making right now. It's not worth it. Like life's too short, right? So I did the math. I'm like, what can I make on a break? If I buy it from a hobby store at 600 after I clear shipping and fees and I can make $125 a break. And I was like, I do two of these a day. That's 250. Right. I was like, I do five, five days a week. Right. I'm like over a thousand bucks times 52. I'm like, I could be an entrepreneur. I could do it. Right. It was easy. It, it, it was a lot better than, you know, making a little more and staring at a wall the whole day, you know? And yeah, I mean, listen, I think you're, you're, you're one of, one of many people who have done that kind of followed their passion, especially in this, you know, you did it pre pandemic, but in the pandemic and post pandemic, I think we're seeing more and more people do it. And I, of course, being as immersed in the sports card industry as we are, we're seeing people do it uh, within, within sports cards. So, um, but I think there's a lot of people who would like to do it and find a way in. Is it, how do you feel the breaker world is right now? Like, is it, is it saturated? Is it full? Is there room for, is there room for more people to start and, and come in now? Uh, how, like, like what are the barriers to entry for someone to come in and try to build something like what you've done? So I, I, I never want to say you can't do anything, right. Or you can't do something. Cause I'm a firm believer if you give 150% and you don't stop and you just keep going, the next person ahead of you stops a little bit, you're going to catch them eventually. Um, but that would have been a great question in 2019, right? Because 20, if you were doing this in 2019 and then the pandemic happened, you're good. Mm -hmm. Right now, there's so many people that got in after the pandemic, not because necessarily they wanted to start a community and they wanted to, you know, start a business. They saw dollar signs and they were like, I could get. I could catch a bag fast right yeah. now. Yeah. Um, so it is oversaturated again, very much like the music industry was right. So now it's just so hard, so hard. If you want to start from scratch right now, 
you can do it, right? But it's very, very unlikely that a breaker right now would, you know, blow up. Yeah, yeah. Is there still innovation that's ripe for the picking out there? Like, are there, I, I know the answer to this has to be yes, but, you know, it's going to take some creativity, I think, at this point for somebody to come in and, and you know, innovate as a breaker. You know, like you can do crazy things behind the camera. And by, I just mean like entertainment crazy. Is there innovation left to be had for breakers? And it's a tough question to, to answer, but I'll, I'd like to hear what you have to say, if anything. I think there's, right, there's always something that can be done to enhance anything, right? Like nothing's ever perfect. I just don't know what that is. You know, there there could be something, I'm sure. There there was something, it was missing a lot in 2017. Yeah. You know, we've come such a long way in six, seven years. So I think it depends on the technology too, right? Technology changes. There could be a game changer that happens as the technology changes. So I do think, you know, we're going to see things. I just don't know when or what they even are. But AI even too, like with the, you know, AI is becoming insane. Something with AI is going to come over into the breaking world. I just, I can't see it. I don't know yeah. what it is. Yeah, something will happen. We're also streaming live to Instagram. Hello to everyone on Instagram. Stukes, I see your comment. Good evening to you, Webo2 Soul Tough guys. Good to see you out there. And uh, I want to say hi to David Kaplan here. Dennis87, uh, talking about the New York Times feature. Michael as well. Very good, very good guys. Thank you for uh, thank you for being here. You mentioned your father, CPA, wealth advisor, and that's why I use the word fiduciary uh, responsibility and intent in the title of this episode because we talked earlier. And you know, one of the key questions that I had for you was, you know, how have you avoided a lot of the controversy that seems to surround some of the high profile breakers? And that's one of the reasons why I was happy to have you on the show is because I've never seen anything, uh, you know, about you guys. It's all, it's always positive. And when we, when I met you and you told me about, you know, kind of how you approach the business, it kind of made sense to me, but it's that that's hearing it from me. I want the audience to hear it from you. Why, how, how should I put this? I'm just going to ask, I'm going to just, we're, I'm just going to ask you the question as I just did, how have you avoided all the controversy? I mean, just doing things the right way, I guess. And what does that mean? So my dad, so we're very different in so many ways. But one thing he always said, and it was when I was working with him doing, uh, trying to become an investment advisor, he was selling at, uh, doing commission sales, selling stocks that you would make a commission on. And I'm like, this is like, you can make a lot of money doing this. And he's like, yeah, I'm stopping. And I was like, why? He's like, because I actually have the decision right then and there to sell somebody something that isn't necessarily good for them to make a dollar. So by being an investment advisor, you become a fiduciary. And now you, you have to act in the best interest of your customers, your clients. So every decision you're making, although you may, you are going to make money off the portfolio, it has to be done in their best interest according to what their needs are. And there's, you know, regulations on that and people overlooking. And at the end of the day, somebody can come in and be like, why would you make that move for that person when it clearly didn't fit, you know, their lifestyle or their risk tolerance? 
And I kind of did it the same way in this, you know, I, I kind of emulated the exact model and brought it over here. Um, and even I would say we didn't start this to make money. Like we started to make a living, but we didn't start it to, you know, make money, money. So my, when I first started, every single person in the Facebook group was just as important as the next one. And it was, I wanted to earn your business. And if that meant, you know, giving you my honest feedback, my honest opinion, sometimes I wouldn't even let people buy, you know, if they wanted to make a purchase, I'm like, that's a bad move, you know, like, and, it's, and like I knew people cause it's Facebook and you're building a community and a family sort of on that side. And it's like, I know what you do for a living. You're, there's no way you're spending $500 right now on this break. Like this is a straight impulse buy that, you know, pump the brakes, you know, and it's very much, you know, what an investment advisor would do if somebody's like, Hey, I want to get into some alternative investments. I want to get risky. Let's get into crypto. And it's like, mm, you know, mm, that's, that's not the best idea. So, so you care about the customer. Yeah. That's how it started out. Like just, we knew everybody that was getting in the breaks right now. It's hard to know each and every person. We have like thousands of people buying with us, but yes, at the beginning, we knew each and every customer. We knew their, what type of, uh, job they did what their family was like they had kids now it's very hard to track that with you know 20 what do we have now eight different breakers so every breaker we try to have them learn everybody that breaks with them but like me personally it's so tough now it's like yeah. a different world i like this comment from t dot it says good character avoids controversy i think that's uh, an astute comment uh ziggy no says do you think breaking needs regulation I don't think that would be the worst thing. I really don't. I mean, there's there's companies out there now trying to regulate pricing at least. Um, I think that's important, but I think there's things that are more important than even the pricing right now that needs to be regulated, right? Just like Fanatics is starting to do it. They're trying to weed out breakers that shouldn't be breaking. Um, but I think that needs to be regulated, right? Like you wouldn't back to the investment world, like somebody wasn't licensed. You wouldn't be buying, you know, advice from them or buying stocks based on what they were telling you. So it's kind of like right now it's a wild west still, as far as that goes, anybody can sell anything to anyone, you know, whether it's in their best interest or not, whether, you know, even if the items stolen, even not that, you know, it could be, but people could sell hot items right now. Like there's no, no regulation on anything. Yeah. And is, is fanatics like, you know, you said they're trying to weed out some breakers that shouldn't be breaking. Are they like, how have they caused you to up your game? Let's say to up your professionalism and not just you, all the breakers on their platform versus, you know, breakers who are just breaking themselves with like on say, YouTube or Instagram or TikTok or breakers that are breaking on some of the other big platforms out there. What have they done to 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 really cause you to be worthy of of the of of the because if something goes wrong, it can impact both your brand and their brand or whoever's yeah. brand and their brand. So what have they done to really try to mitigate that risk for both of you guys? Um, so we kind of were seasoned in the aspect where we were like a plug and play where we they knew what they had with us and they could uh, put us, you know, just basically 
do your thing. But I know with a lot of other breakers, there are they are training. They're doing training, um, teaching them what type of equipment they should even be using, uh, lighting setups, stuff like that, um, security measures. They one thing I love about fanatics, which I think is a lot of people out there they don't even know this. I don't. They're I'm sure they're allowed to know it, but there's a security camera constantly streaming in the room. So if somebody ever said something like, hey, I think he took cards off the camera. I think they swapped something out. There's security continuously running where Fanatics could see it. Mm. So I think that's like huge. So does does Fanatics have eyes on you full time? I mean, that would be, that seems like that would be excessive, but or at least they, know, they can go back and see. Yeah, well, they yeah. could watch our stream as anytime we hit go live, their camera's on. Okay. It goes on so with that. So they have a camera in your physical building as well as the cameras you have to stream to your audience. Correct. That's pretty. That's a pretty good measure, I would say. I think that that, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, a lot of sense to me. I think that's a good a good thing to do. Um, Mark Santucci wants to. Will you guys be in Cleveland at the national at the end of July? Um, probably walking around. I, I'm over again in the booth. I'm done yeah. with it. Especially in the Breaker Pavilion, it's just like. Nobody comes to see the breakers. Yeah, I kind of, I, I always thought the breaker pavilion, at first I thought it was a great thing, but it seems like, you know, it seems like it's not utilized properly. It's a, it's kind of a dead space at the national. It could be used a, a lot better, I think. Hopefully they'll, they'll get there soon. Uh, Ziggy has another question. How do you protect yourself from selling to minors, underage uh, customers, let's say? Shoot, I, I don't even, that's a great question. I guess, wouldn't that be with the credit card check and everything? Or what's it actually? Is there a difference if you sell the miners? I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I think uh, if you're selling sports cards, yeah, it's only yeah, it's it's sports cards. You're right. I'm not sure, but um, I I I mean, I know that to have a PayPal account, you need to have you know your guardian if you're under 18 to sign off on a credit cards as well. So. what anything the fanatic says about that that you can recall? I'm sure everything's on their side, you know, like they have to approve the customer and all that stuff to begin with. So I'm sure they have measures in place. So that's, that's a better a question, question for, for fanatic yeah. live than it is for filth bomb. Yeah. yeah it's, when it's, I heard that question, I, my mom was like, what? Yeah. I, I was because I don't even think about that because we don't have to because it's already handled prior to getting to us. Right. And uh, one more question from him is breaking a skill. Can anybody break and should it be a licensed professional? Like, like a, <laughs> I'll let you answer. I mean, he, some good questions he has. Um, I think it's one hundred percent a skill. Um, it's an art too. There's um, there's an art to it. There's a cadence to it. It's you know, from start to finish. You need to know when to speed up. You need to know when to slow down. You need to know when to get excited. You have to know how to let somebody down uh, nicely when they may have spent a good amount of money and didn't get the result they wanted. Um, so it's definitely a skill. And I think, I mean, it is like a trade. I think you could make an argument for that, that it could be a licensed professional. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I think it comes with, at this point, it's still early. Like, you know, there's no, there's no body to issue the license at this point. Yeah. But I think what's important is that, you know, is that you guys as the, as the company uh, that you, that you vet 
you vet your breakers and that you train them. And I'm sure you're doing that. I mean, I, I'm, that's an assumption I'm making, but I think it's probably a safe one that yeah. you're vetting. I mean, you said you, you've been drawing off of your, your inner circle for your employees thus far. But if you do go outside of that, you're going to be vetting them and you're, go- and you're going to be uh, training them and, and having them watch some video on how to, how to do it, right? And before you unleash them to the crowd. So, uh, but for to be a licensed professional, listen, I'm not saying that's never going to happen. That could happen where there is some sort of accreditation or, or course that is like, you know, and it maybe not is, isn't even necessary to do it, but you as the employer would say, hey, go take this course, you know, just so you understand how important it is to keep your hands on camera all the time and, you know, all the, all the, all the keys to it. So, but I, I think we're way away from ways away from that. If, if ever, uh, Eric P says best breaker in the business. Now I have to go mess with Frankie and spend (laughs) some money. Go break with Frankie and set some money. (laughs) Tita says you need us. You need an onsite accountant, which, well, you, you have some experience there. So uh, you are yourself. Let's let's change topics, Stephen. Lots of talk in the hobby about loaded boxes, the loaded box conspiracy. We've seen some some of the big breakers hit the biggest cards. We've seen some breakers breaking with athletes hitting some cards of the athlete themselves. And there's a lot of speculation, a lot of conspiracy theory out there. And I don't think we've really, you know, been advised or or learned if there is any truth to it or not. But with that said, what what are your thoughts on all the accusations that we see out there that, you know, that certain boxes, certain card companies are pushing certain cards to certain breakers? Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I'm here to set the record straight. We do get loaded boxes. No, I'm kidding. Um, So basically, I get both sides. Um, I understand why people would think that. And. I'll say straight up, we may be getting loaded boxes, but I promise you, I do not have any proof of it. But if I'm the core distributors, you know, that you're going to want the best cards to be seen by the most people. It is a business. I'm not saying there. I'm just saying if I was a card company. You understand. Like, I understand. You understand the incentive to do it which is partially why there are so, there is the conspiracy out there because it does kind of make sense that it would be good marketing but i mean and i don't know either way and i i can think i think it, it's plausible that it's happening but it also might just be a numbers game and purely coincidental i mean some people have won the lottery twice you know is that random or 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 is that is that a loaded lottery ticket? I think I think it's mostly well, I don't know. I'm not gonna say because I really have no idea. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, it's interesting to hear that you 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 do see the un, you do understand kind of the the fuel for the fire. And I think that that says a lot because I think we all do. The question is, is it happening? And uh like you said, you might be getting loaded boxes but if you do you don't you don't know about it so and why do you say you might be even like like have you had more uh you know an above average like big hit rate you think i mean i don't keep track of what other people are getting but we pull big cards you know 
but it could just be a volume thing, surely a volume thing. Um, so there isn't really any, there's no rhyme or reason to it. I just, I could see both sides to it. But the one thing I don't get is the people that are saying, oh my God, these breakers pulling these massive cards is so bad for the hobby. But you know what's worse for the hobby? That card getting pulled and no one knowing that that card's pulled and people keep spending money looking for that card. Hmm. That's even worse, right? That, but I I hear that, but uh, let me just push back a little bit and say, but that's been the history of the hobby up until, you know, call really up until, uh, you know, the pandemic. We had group breaking before that, but it was on a much smaller scale. But so that's been the history of the hobby. So, if that if that is what built us up to today, and I don't know the answer to this, so it's not necessarily a pushback, more just the discussion. Is it worse? Or I, I see why you're saying it's worse because now you got all these customers paying to get into breaks to hopefully hit something that's already been pulled. Like like the like isn't it the the Kobe Bryant Prism 101 or something like that that's still out the there? Luca. The Luca, the Luca, Luca. The Luca, thank you. The Luca 101. I mean, that might be sitting in a box somewhere that some guy pulled and didn't even know. And it's been sitting there. He's out of the hobby for the last 10 years. And people are still going to try and they're still going to pay thousands of dollars for a box that thinking they might be able to hit it. So is that good or bad for the hobby? It's bad for that person who who's buying boxes now if, if that card's been hit. But it's good for the people sitting on that inventory. So how do you kind of reconcile that after going through that thought process? Yeah. It's um, I would say if we're going to grow the hobby, though, you do want. I mean, it helps. In my opinion, I could be totally wrong, but it helps the hobby seeing content of these massive cards being pulled because. People get to be in that moment, whether it's their card or not, they get to see what it's like to see one of these cards pulled, because the truth of the matter is somebody going and buying one box, the percentage of you pulling that massive card is so low it happens but like now i guess the hobby is trying to get pushed to the breaking side and that's like the reason why people want to break like hey when we break we have a chance of hitting these big cards you know yeah no i i think i i see both sides of it i really i, I really really do as uh, ziggy says can i suggest a lower cost model with encouraging tips do you receive tips today I mean, there are some people, and I think Ziggy's one of them, who feel that breakers make too much money. Uh, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I think you're providing a service. You have labor involved, and sure, people could go, could buy the whole box themselves and and pay less than the sum of what you break it out for in pieces. But that's that's what the business that's what the business is. I can go to the grocery store and I can buy one piece of cake for three dollars that has eight pieces. Or I can buy the whole cake for twenty bucks or eighteen dollars and save money. Bulk discount is something that's that's in every industry, so I don't agree with that line of thinking. I think you're you're I think breakers are entitled to their profit as long as it's measured. You know, until you become you know a, a pig about it, it's it, and, and it gets offensive. What? How do you how do you feel about that whole the the pricing model of breaking? I mean. I agree completely with what you just said. I I really do think a lot of people are counting people's money right now, which is never a good thing. But as long as you don't get piggish with it, you are providing a service. And especially if you're providing a service better than a lot of other people are providing a service. You know, like there may be five plumbers 
that best plumber is going to charge a premium because he's the best plumber. Yeah. Right. And it's in any field, not just plumbing, not just sports cards. It's, you know, and people make the argument, oh, anybody could open up a card. So, you know, but when you have a brand, like you said, and you have employees and you have overhead, there's a price that you kind of have to charge if you're going to want to keep that business even alive. Stale Prod says, what's up? There's the man who pulled the out of five gold vinyl borough auto. Is that, I don't know if that's true, is it? And uh, and yeah. tell us a bit about that. No, I think if that's what I think it is, I, um, oh no, I pulled two of them. I pulled, no, one gold vinyl, one gold RPA from Prism. But yeah, that was one of our first breaks in 2020 of Prism football. And we just got another loaded box. Panini doesn't even mess with us. So if we pull anything big from Panini, you have zero argument at all. With so us. when you say loaded box, you mean a good box. You're not yeah. saying you received a, and that's an important distinction for, for our audience and for even, you know, into the future. When you say we, we pull, we broke a loaded box. You mean the box was, was a, there are good boxes and there are bad boxes. When I, when I've opened boxes, I'm usually the guy that gets the bad boxes. But, um, I'm <laughs> but for your customers, you're going to, you're going to break, some good boxes here and there for sure. Uh, another comment from Ziggy. He says here, it would be great if breakers did report hits to a tracking service. Breakers have lots to, lots of data they should be paying attention to. I think that's a good point. I don't know. You know, that's probably out there. Even think um, that reminds me of that app that Jeff Wilson from Sports Card Investor uh, tried to start and it didn't work out, but where it was, I forget what it was. I forget the name of it. Hits maybe or something like that. But where the hit was going and the fact it was going to turn into an NFT that that who cares about that? It's the fact that tracking the hits, I think, is a is a is a great thing. But the more the most important part of that to me, Stephen, is that it provides provenance for the ultimate buyer of that card to say, hey, there's where this card that someone's trying to sell me was was broke it came from this breaker we know it's a pack pulled card etc etc tell us about how you feel about about the benefit of breaking towards providing provenance i mean i think it's very important like for example the ruth otani duel that just went off it had a story behind it and i think that's what made it so cool you know there was a bounty out it got hit everyone tracked it from the second it got pulled and put up at auction and it had eyes on it um, but I do think that being able to track the hits as well, like we were talking about, Ziggy was talking about is very important. Um, and it's important for two reasons. The first being what I spoke about earlier, you know, if a card's been hit and you could actually buy more responsibly, right? You're not just buying blind. Um, there, I think there's someone on Instagram, super fracker, super fractor tracker. And that's what they try to do is every draft release or Bowman Chrome release, they track every super fractor. So you could go there and uh, see what's been hit, what hasn't been hit yet. Um, and then also, I guess it would be good just for the argument that everyone's making loaded boxes. You could actually do the math yourself, you know, and be like, Hey, they hit these big cards, but how much product do they actually open? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think, I think there's lots of benefit to it. A tracking service would be, would be great for sure. If there was one place you could go, there's actually a guy on Instagram right now. I think it's Dennis 87 who was in here earlier, who is posting up a post to his story for all the, and he's a hockey guy. So like from the cut, you know, the, the cup came out recently, he's posting all the big hits to his Instagram 
and uh, you know, hey, congrats, you know, pulled by such and such. Congratulations to the owner, this and that. I love those posts. Keep them up, Dennis, if you're still watching, uh, because you know, number one, it's showing me I'm not following all the breakers. So a tracking div- like somebody, t- if there is a, somebody out there who wants to start a business in this space, and you have a, you can have eyeballs on all the breakers every day, and you can do a summary, kind of like what what Card Ladder does at the end of the night. They're up at three and four in the morning and they're vetting all these sales. Someone to do that. Like they're watching, they have eyes on all the auctions. They have eyes on all the breaks and then to post all the hits somewhere the next morning. Imagine waking up, Stephen, every day and seeing all the hits in a, in a reel where it's like three seconds per hit and you can see who broke it. And then if you want to buy one, maybe you can reach out to that breaker and say, hey, you need to hire, you know, a big operation like yours would need to hire someone just to respond to those requests probably on behalf of your customers who now own the cards. Uh, would any, any legs to that idea? And, and I have to think someone's already working on it. What do you think? See, I love these discussions. Cause like, look, we just came up with it, right? Like we were talking about innovation in the breaking space. And it's like, there's one. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I think that would be great for everyone. It would be, it would make my life so much easier. And then breakers could actually change pricing in real time. Like sometimes we're pricing out something and you don't know that they're, you know, the white Lankford, uh, Papa, one of one came out of Sapphire. So you're still charging 700 on the case for the Rangers when now we have to adjust in real time. Who hasn't been hit here? There's only a thousand cases produced. Oh, uh, Bryce Eldridge hasn't been pulled yet for the giants. They have to come up now. The Rangers have to come down. I think um, real time, something like that would actually be so beneficial for everyone. Collectors, breakers, buyers, sellers, because now I know what's come out. They could go chase it. Yeah. Yeah. I think I think there's potentially something there. Okay, here's a here's a tough one for you, Stephen. This comes from where to go. This comes from Fowl. Oh, no, this comes where to go. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I want to find this one. Yeah, Fowl Five Ball. He says, I'm not a fan of breaking. It is not entertaining. Very fishy business. I would rather open it on my own. I'm not a fan of fanatics taking over the hobby. Why should I like this guy? You know, I I mean, you don't have to like him. Uh, and Fowl Five Ball's name is Jeremy. Jeremy, you don't have to like Stephen, but I don't know. What's, he's a pretty, pretty nice guy. You can judge that for yourself. But Stephen, I'd like you to maybe just respond because we were going to talk about a little bit later the whole the 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 sentiment out there, which I'm sure uh, Fowl Five Ball shares, is are breakers bad for the hobby? And we were going to talk about this anyway. Let's do it now in the context context of this comment here. I'll turn it over to you to address that. All right. So, like, first off, I want to respond with this question with a question. Respond to his question with a question. And why is Fanatics taking over the hobby bad? A lot of people say this. A lot of people are saying, oh, this is so bad for the hobby. Like, in what? Before Fanatics, right? Let's go back two years. It was a wild west. People are waiting outside Target for blasters. Like, it was... Anything went right. Anything goes. And this is like the beginning of some sort of regulation where, I mean, you want to talk about capitalism. I think before this, we saw so much more capitalism. Now people are flipping cards for a thousand dollars. I worth $10 now. So, I mean, I don't know if necessarily fanatics taking over the hobby is a bad thing. I think what it's doing is adding some more structure and it's kind of, it is taking money out of some people's pockets. 
So like, if you're saying it from a business standpoint, I can see you saying that, but as a collector, I think this is just opening up the door to a million things that would never have been possible. You get to go meet Victor Wembanyama. They're going to have redemptions and cards to throw out the first pitch for the world series, potentially, you know, like there's going to be things like that, that are going to bring collectors to a level that they it's not just opening up a pack anymore. It's not just getting a card and putting in the binder. It's there's so much more to it. Yeah, no, fair, fair enough. Uh, I, there were issues before and it's still early in fanatics reign to see where it's going to go. But a lot of people are watching what they're doing with, you know, very closely. And there's some very strong opinions, um, you know, for and against what, what they are doing. And, um, I'm I'm not willing to form my opinion until a couple of years have gone by when they're really in the business and and they've got the, the licenses in, in the sports that they're going to be working with and uh, and then then we'll see this is it's the kind of thing that we're not going to really know if fanatics was good or bad for the hobby until until there there's there's some some pudding for there to be proof in you know there's right now it's it's very little there have been some things David Kaplan asks. Have you ever, have you guys ever hit the same super fractor twice? Which is something that was a, you know, uh, an oversight, a, a grave error that happened at Tops uh, earlier this year or last year. But uh, let's let's say you answer answer Dave Kaplan's question. We actually hit one. We hit the same one as real breaks. Uh, I forget who it was. So Juan Benjamin, maybe first Bowman super. So we have hit one of the supers that had two of them. Yeah. 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 Real quick, if I could go back to your last question, actually, I was just thinking something else. Yeah. I feel like think how much money they pumped in, right? Fanatics. And I'm not endorsing them in any way. Like it is what it is. I'm not getting paid to say any of this. Products are the same price that they were last year before Fanatics. Has there been a product that's astronomically more than it was? Like Stadium Club just came out. I didn't. I don't even think there was a price increase. So like, all this money is getting put into the hobby, into product development, into everything, and the collector, the consumer is not even seeing an increase in price. Some products like Topps Chrome Black, another low end product, I don't even think that's on increase in price. You know, so it's like, imagine putting all this money in and not charging more right now. Well, it might be volume, right? They're gonna. I think the speculation is they're gonna print more, and they're gonna sell more, and I mean with the with the you know, the, the tagline that's just overtaking the hobby of 10 Xing the hobby. If they're not going to increase price, they're going to have to increase supply. And then will that have a negative impact on the secondary market values down the road of now? I mean, let's face it. A lot of that, a lot of that additional printing or incremental printing or production is going to be base cards, which are worthless, whether there's 5,000 of them or five or 50 or 500,000. They're, they're all, they're worthless anyway, as far as secondary market goes, you know, you're what are they? They're they're worth what twelve cents, eighteen cents on on Com C sort of thing. Uh, you're not paying the shipping to get a base card anymore. So, um, I think it, it would have to come that way. What are your thoughts on on volume? So, volume to me doesn't make a difference as long as the hobby's growing. So, like if they're making double the amount or triple the amount, but we have triple the amount of collectors, it's the same thing, right? There's going to be a buyer for every seller in that instant instance but um the true collectors right let's go to bowman for example they're looking for the super fractor right they're looking for the reds 
looking for the orange, looking for the gold. So I feel like none of that changes. You know, it's those people aren't going for the new parallels anyway. The yellows to 75. So like they're making more, but those true colors are holding value regardless. You know, it's just a way for them to make more and produce more. But I don't think it affects the singles. The singles that people actually want, it doesn't change anything. Yeah, yeah. All right, here's a comment, uh, another sort of, you know, controversial comment. And uh, so we're going to we're gonna put it up and read it out. Uh, Dan says, does Stephen acknowledge that breaking is gambling? And like casinos, do they have any policy to deal with people who are addicted to breaking? And uh, we, we covered that earlier, Dan. And, um, you know, I want to I follow that comment off, though, with stale prod here saying, breaking or opening wax is both a gamble. It's part of the hobby. Breaking allows people to share the risk which is actually a really good thing. You're actually, you, you lower your risk by going with the breaker than you do by going into the LCS. If, if in my opinion, you know, especially if, and I think one of the policies at, you know, under fanatics is that everybody has to get something. I think, is that correct? Yes. So, so if that's the fact, which it is, you've just verified then every, and if we're going to say that breaking is gamble, and I'm not saying it, there isn't a gamble aspect because you're going to buy your team. You might get cards worth what you bought, you might or what you paid. You might get cards worth more. You might get cards worth less. Versus going into going into the clothing store and buying a pair of jeans or, or pants for a hundred bucks. You know you paid a hundred bucks for your pants. There's no gamble with buying a pair of pants unless uh, you know you mismeasured yourself, sort of thing. Silly as that sounds, but breaking LCSs. Going to the wax stand at the card show, going to Walmart. I mean, if 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 breaking is gambling, then Walmart and Target are also facilitating gambling. I don't see a distinction between the ways the cards are getting out <coughs> into the hobby. The the product has to get broken one way or another. And to Michael's comment here, I'm a collector, so I just buy singles. I always get what I want. Yeah. But without people breaking and taking that risk, taking that gamble to open the product, single buyers aren't going to have anything to buy. So we need them in the ecosystem, I feel. You want to respond? I agree, again, with a lot of what you're saying. I think that being able to open a product in the abundance that we're breaking it, it helps two people. It's going to help the person that's a wax collector. Because now the supply is going way down, right? If you're just choosing to hold on to your wax, your wax is going to inevitably inevitably become more valuable, especially if the big cards don't get pulled, right? Every time, like, a case of Definitive got ripped and that Otani root didn't come out, that case went up. So it could backfire as well, right? But then it also helps the collectors out there. There's so many times I'm in a Facebook group and I'm, you know, the same thing he just said. Oh, I'm a collector. I, I buy the singles. I get what I want. But if we weren't busting out product at the rate we're busting it out the chance you find that one-on-one of your favorite player from that product is so unlikely you know and those those cards go on uh ebay on day after release and see how many cards pop up how many super fractors pop up like they're there fast and it's because we're busting through them at a fast rate i think you're on mute LGC says break comp cards tracks the cost per team across breakers. You familiar with this break comp cards and uh, what they're doing these days? Yeah. Um, I mean, if you're in the hobby, right? Like it's a good, in theory, it's a very good idea 
right? Tracking prices. I mean, there's two things, right? This is my theory, and I don't want to step on any toes. I don't want to say anything, you know, but if you have to be the cheapest, you have to be the cheapest usually for a reason. So that's one. If you're the cheapest, I love you still, all right? I love you. And then two, if you're the cheapest and you're that cheap and you're number one or number two or number three, you're not going to be that cheap for much longer because you're going to run out of those cases and the reorder is coming and you're going to have no cases and you're going to have to rebuy and your price is going up. So it's kind of like it looks nice and it's like, oh, look at these. One, by the time you go to that person's break that has a Texas Rangers misprice and Wyatt Langford for a hundred bucks, they're taken already. And there's only so many cases that guy's selling at that price. So it's like, it's nice on release day for the first day. But after that, it's like everyone's so close in price anyway, because everyone's reordering at the same price. So what, so I think if I'm reading between the line, what you're saying is if you are, if you are using break comp cards as a reference for pricing, uh, you have to you have to take it with a grain of salt because it may not be current and up to date. It may not reflect the you know this hobby moves so fast. It may not reflect current changes and 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 that sort of thing. Like, are they yeah. feeding into your prices? Are they are they are they are they feeding into Fanatics Live platform to pull the prices out? Yeah, I mean, I had a discussion with them once just because. Listen, you can make anything look any way you want it when you're messing with numbers, right? If you're if you're putting out a, you know, a, a list like that, you could choose to make it the top 10 or you could choose to make it the top 12, right? You could choose to make it the top 15. You can make it look any single way you want. And you could also not have accurate data, right? Because people are breaking on Facebook. People are also breaking on Fanatics and have to charge 10% more for fees. Yeah. So it's like you could pick and choose however you want to make it to make anybody look any certain way you want. Yeah. So I think that in concept, like I said, it's a good idea, but I think it needs to be refined for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's journey, the free to play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.